Hi, good morning and welcome to the Football Digest Weekly Podcast. Uh, it's safe to say it's been another eventful week. Antonio Conte is back in English football, having replaced Nuno Santo at Tottenham. What impact will the Italian make? And how big is his task of turning Spurs into genuine title challengers and other trophies, other big trophies? Up the road in the northeast, meanwhile, Newcastle attempt to find a new manager have turned a little embarrassing, to be honest. After Unai Emery turned them down this week, uh, Eddie Howe, the forgotten man of English football, is now the uh, favourite to take the take the reins up there. In the Champions League, Ronaldo rescues Man United once again with a late strike in Italy. But are his crucial goals simply papering over more craps, cracks to sorry cracks to keep all the good nostalgia in a job? Um, Liverpool beat Atletico to qualify for the knockout stages. Uh, with two games to spare, while City and Chelsea march on, cruising to easy wins. They look certain to go through to the last 16. Uh, Gareth Southgate named his latest England squad today as he looks to book a place at the 2022 World Cup. World Cup. Well, there's a small matter of Manchester Derby to look forward to this weekend, which should be a cracker. Uh, here to discuss this and more, I'd like to say is Andy Dunn, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Mirror, uh, Simon Mullock, Chief Football Writer of the Sunday Mirror, and Gideon Brooks, Football and Cricket Writer of the Daily Express. Morning, fellas. Um, thanks Morning. for joining us. Morning. Um, Andy, can we just start by asking you, Conte, obviously, back at Tottenham, back in English football. Um, it looks on paper to be a great appointment for Tottenham. Um, what do you make of it? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, there's nothing, there's very little not to like about the appointments. You know, we've seen what he can do everywhere, everywhere he's been. We can see how infectious he is. We see um, what a great work ethic he has. We've seen he's successful at every club he's been to. Um, really, it, it's the appointments. Obviously, they they probably, well, they wish they'd have made and they wish they could have made um, in the summer. Um, but for one reason or other, they couldn't. And for one reason or other, they, they now can. So so it's good. I mean, it, it's not going to be a panacea, you know, to all the ills that, that, that Spurs are currently suffering. It's not going to cure everything overnight. You know, you just can't turn that team into a team that is competitive in the same echelon as City, United, well, maybe not United, Liverpool and Chelsea, those three in particular. So in that sense, no, and, and you know, the reservation you would have is that it is an only an 18-month contract, which just doesn't suggest, you know, um, total confidence that it's going to go well. Um, secondly, you read about stuff like these last couple of mornings about players excited about playing for Conte. Well, they should be excited about playing for Spurs full stop, day in, day out, whether it's Nuno Espirito Santo, the manager, or whether it's Antonio Conte. But having said all that, you, you know, you have got a manager there with a proven track record. You've got a manager, we've spoken about it a lot this season last, about about the, the elite managers now, this, this sort of cabal of elite managers, you know, which, which includes Tuchel, Klopp, Guardiola. We've talked about Solskjaer not being in there. And we've talked about, you know, there's other managers and, and and there's half a dozen, maybe maybe eight or ten of those managers around Europe. And he's one of them. I mean, let's face it, they've got, a, you know, a, a gold standard manager and they've got by him sort of belatedly. They've got him belatedly. They've, you know, bizarrely sort of, you know, ended up with Santo and now I've got Conte. But whichever way they've come by him, they've now got a manager who should certainly improve their fortunes whether he can turn them into, you know, challenges right at the top end of the table, you know, remains to be seen. Simon, Andy touched on that, but just barely four months ago, Conte turned Tottenham down as their sort of summer hunt for a manager turned into farcical proportions. They eventually went for Nuno, who was basically sixth or seventh choice. 
what do you think's changed in the in the inter intervening time? What what's changed Conte's mind? How has Levy managed to persuade Conte that Tottenham are now an appealing job when clearly he didn't think they were several months ago? Well, I think the key is the eight, that he's only signed an eighteen month contract. Um, you know, clearly it is going to be a case of uh, suck it and see. Let's you know, Conte wants to know how how things are going to work at Tottenham, and Levy probably wants to know how things are going to work. With um, with Antonio Conte, um, is he going to be able to turn Tottenham's fortunes round in, eight, in inside eighteen months? I think he'll certainly give them a structure and a base to play from, uh, and an idea and a plan of playing. I mean, I was at um, I was at the Tottenham Stadium last week, and Tottenham really were a shambles. As good as Manchester United were uh, last Saturday evening, Tottenham were extremely poor. Um, and they just didn't seem like they had a, a, a plan of action to to attack United. You know, let, let's be fair, United were, were in disarray this time last week. Um, uh, and a lot of people expected Tottenham to de deliver the, the, the killer punch, but they, they didn't really lay a glove on United. And as soon as the first goal went in, it, it, there was a, a little bit of a, a surrender. And, and that clearly was a factor in, uh, in, in Nuno being sacked. Um, but going back to Conte, I mean, as Andy said, he's a proven winner. Five five titles as a as a manager, you know, almost won the double in his first season with Chelsea, and even you know the season where apparently it all turned sour, he, he still delivered an FA Cup. Um, but clearly, the man liked control, um, and he didn't get that at Chelsea, which was was why you know it all came to an end. And he probably won't get that at Tottenham. And like I say, I think that's why. Uh, the the key to this appointment is that he's only signed for for eighteen months. Kids, you look at Conte and you, he's got a rep fierce reputation for sort of really driving his players hard in training. He suffers no fools, doesn't stand any nonsense from anyone. Is he, he? He seems like the perfect guy to breeze in there and give everyone a kick up the backside at Tottenham because it, it clearly looks like that's what a lot of the players need, and I include Harry Kane in that. Yeah, the. They've looked like a team sort of walking through the motions this season, haven't they? Um, and in, it, discipline seems to be the word that keeps cropping up with Conte every now and every time you look into anything about his methods uh, and his systems, certainly his time at Chelsea. Um, I'm interested to see what he gets out of Dele Alli and Harry Kane and, and Don Belay and people like that, Winks, who's probably... Um, you know, sort of dropped dropped out of favour. Quite a few. There seems to be a lot of disaffection in there. But he's not going to he's not going to be an arm around the shoulder sort of person. He's going to be a sort of boot up the backside. Um, he, I think he's got quite a job on his hands though. He's, he's the the systems that he's used in the past at, at all his Italian clubs and even with Italy, um, and perhaps most pertinently at Chelsea wouldn't seem to fit naturally the players that, that Spurs have got at the moment. There seem to be two or three gaping holes, like a, a, maybe a defensive midfielder, maybe a right-sided attacker and a centre-half. So he's going to have to rectify that in January, which is never particularly a recipe for for uh, for success. But it, it's going to be fascinating to see what sort of reaction he gets out of them. He's got a, he's got a, a great run of five games to, to ease into it as well. Uh, he's got Everton, Leeds, Burnley, Brentford and Norwich. Which he probably couldn't couldn't ask for a better start. So I think that came into Levy's Levy's thinking when he decided to sack Nuno. Almost certainly, yeah. Almost certainly. Andy, when um, Tuchel took over at Chelsea, he got an eighteen month deal and um, was basically put on trial by 
Roman Abramovich, the owner, obviously he answered that call in emphatic fashion. Mm. I got up to win the Champions League. Um, obviously, he subsequently signed a long-term deal after that as his reward. But you can't expect Conte, I know they're not even in the Champions League, obviously. You can't expect Conte to have a similar impact, can you, in, in 18 months with Tottenham Costa. When Tuchel took over, Chelsea had a better squad of players, um, you know, and Chelsea weren't in quite as much disarray as Tottenham are now. So, what's a realistic ambition for the rest of the season, do you think? I mean, he's, he's got to be looking at top four. I mean, he's got to be looking at that fourth spot. I mean, I think we most people now would probably, you know, you might be mistaken, but you'd probably assume that, that Chelsea, Man City, Liverpool, in whatever order um, you happen to think will finish top three, and you've got to think that fourth spot is absolutely up for grabs between Manchester United, Spurs, West Ham, you know, and you can name others, Leicester City, uh, you, you, you can go on a little bit, and so that is definitely there and up for, up for grabs. They're five points off the top four. You know, before that defeat to United, you, you know, they just had a, okay, most people beat Newcastle, they had a good win at Newcastle. Spurs aren't as bad, I mean, as, as, as people are making out. You know, the squad he's inheriting isn't that bad a squad, the way it's performed over a period of time okay they haven't quite got there in terms of where they want to be but it's a good you know it's a it's a good squad you've got you know you've got a vastly experienced international keeper you know one of the best in the world in Hugo Lloris you've got who wasn't so recently I think probably acclaimed as, as as the best number nine possibly in the world along with Lewandowski in Harry Kane you've got a marvellous talent in Hung Ming Son Deli Ali can't get in the team you know they're, they're not they're not a bad squad um so it, it's not like you know he's taken over a side that are they are struggling, you know, terribly, and and you know he's got to somehow sort of save them from some from from a drop down the table. He's got to be looking up. He will be looking up. Back to his contract, I suspect that the eighteen months is probably more his doing than than theirs. To be to be perfectly honest with you, which you know he'll have an extension. He'll have the option to extend it, and 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 he'll see how the club fits in. But I do think though no, he, he he might not. Have the squad that say you know Tuchel took over at an absolutely fantastic time. They had a great squad, and I know we've spoken on it before here. You know, and contrary to what a lot of people thought, Lampard wasn't doing a very good job with with a great squad. And Tuchel must have looked at that squad and thought, you know, this is this is just a, a dream job for me. If I can't go in there and get better, get better standards out of those players, then then I'm really not worth my coaching salts. And he did that. Now. Conte, that squad isn't as good. I mean, it's not as deep, let's put it that way, for sure. It's really not as deep as, as Chelsea's squad. But it's not bad. It's not bad. And, you know, if if you consider, you know, there are only 10 games gone in the season. There are 28 games left in the Premier League season. You know, um, he has his disposable, you know, arguably in Kane, one of the best players in, in the league. I, I just don't see, you know, how he can... He has to aim. He has to aim for top four. He might well decide that actually this the 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 conference league is also he want to win that, you know, and that will be you know a trophy that, that that they so desperately need. He can target cup competitions. They've got a great stadium, you know. I don't think. Now I remember reading all those letters from the Tottenham Hotspur supporters trust demanding this and demanding that and demanding whatever. You know, I mean. <sighs> It's it's no crisis there. They just got the wrong manager, which they probably knew pretty much straight after they appointed him. They got the wrong manager. They've rectified that now, and he should be looking at top four. You wouldn't expect them to be good enough to to finish top three, but you know they've beaten City this season, so you know they can compete at that level. 
side that his first game is tonight against um, Vitesse Arnhem in the Europa Conference League, which is a measure of you know where Spurs are at and pretty much how big his task ahead of Conte is. Yeah, well, Andy's Andy's absolutely spot on. One thing Spurs want, um, just as much as qualifying for top four, really, is to see a Tottenham captain lift the trophy. They want to see Harry Kane lift a piece of silverware. It's been far too long for a club of Tottenham stature um, to, you know, not to win a major trophy. What, what, going back to Conte and Chelsea, though, one of the, the great advantages that he had, I, I think I'm right in saying this, I should have checked it before we, before we started, but I think the season that he came into Chelsea when they uh, when they won the title, I don't think he had European football to contend with. Uh, so, uh, you know, he was able to work with his squad from week to week and do some real, um, uh, you know, proper training on the on on the practice ground, and 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 you could see that. You know, Chelsea started that season; they they, they were uh, all over the place. I think I remember them losing a game at Arsenal, and then they went on this incredible winning winning streak. I think they won thirteen games on the bounce, and that basically set them up to win win the league title. Now that that was obviously a consequence of Conte being able to to get that those hours in on the, on the training pitch and because Tottenham are in the Conference League, he, he's not he's not got that kind of um, advantage this season. But yeah, he, he'll be looking to you know he will he will want to, Spurs will expect him to attack the top four. He will expect to attack the top four. Mm. He's a Champions League manager, um, but he's also a manager who attacks other competitions when he's in them. Like we say, you know, he was beaten in the FA Cup final his first season at Chelsea and then won the FA Cup the, the season afterwards. So, in that regard, he's a little bit like Guardiola in that he attacks every single competition that, that he's involved in. Um, and, and I think that's what the, the kind of manager that Tottenham Tottenham fans wanted to see. And obviously, Tottenham are in the quarterfinals of the Carabao Cup. So, that's a, he's got a solid base to go from there. He's only two games away from a... But do you know what? I, 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 I disagree with this. You know, there's, there's this kind of um, image that he's got that he's, he's Mourinho Mark II. And I just remember that that certainly the, the Chelsea team that won the league, Eden Hazard that season was absolutely fantastic. And you know, I thought Chelsea, Chelsea were far from a, a you know a Mourinho light side. And I, I think it's a little bit of an unfair uh, reputation that he's got for being a an overcautious manager. Does it? Does he like his team structured? Yeah. You know, does he like his team to play to his plan? Yeah. But you know, all managers should be like that, and and I think it's a, a bit unfair to to beat him with that kind of stick. Kids, Carry uh, Kane's um, troubles have been well documented. Obviously, he wanted to join City in the summer. The move never came came off for him. Um, he was late back to training at the start of the season. He'd gone on, gone on a fancy holiday with his missus. Um, he's had a lot of stick from the City fans. Uh, sorry, from the Tottenham fans for for his attitude and his. He's had a bad body language. Um, he's only scored one Premier League goal this season. Do you, if you were a Spurs fan, would you now expect to see a real upturn in form from Kane in terms of the fact that Conte's come in? Apparently, Kane's really delighted with his appointment. Do you expect to see, see Kane back to his best in the next few weeks? Um, I don't know about the next few weeks. I think um, I think Kane's not the only player who played in the Euros who's suffering from something of a hangover this season, not only English players as well. I mean, there's a few of the foreign lads who are struggling a bit. Um, I think what Conte might do, particularly with Kane, is is sort of impose a bit more discipline on, on where he stands on the pitch because 
I think the Spurs fans are a bit frustrated with how he's drifting out left, he's drifting deep, he's, he's, he's getting the ball in positions where he can't really hurt opposition. And I think Conte, who used Costa in as just as a sort of barrelling out-and-out forward in his championship winning season at Chelsea, I think he might be pushing Kane into a more dangerous position and telling him to stay there. Andy, just before I move on to Newcastle, um, do you think Nuno, I mean, he never, to me, he never looked like he was comfortable in that job. He was clearly not the first choice, nowhere near it when, when, when Levy was scrambling around looking for a new manager. But do you think he's got, a, he's got a case of feeling a bit let down by some of his players? Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, as, as I alluded to earlier, you know, this idea that the players are suddenly energised by the thoughts of playing for Antonio Conte, you know, well, they should be energised by the thoughts of playing for Tottenham Hotspur in front of 60,000 people in, 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 in probably the best stadium in the land. Um, at, at one of the most famous clubs against great opposition, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, the, you know, the idea that they, yes, it will be. It always is, isn't it? If if you have what the is this called the bounce effect, and if they go out and all of a sudden, like you know, Olsen Harry Kane's scoring, and all of a sudden, you know, defenders are putting their bodies on the line, you can put it down to the bounce effect. But then you'll say, well, why weren't they doing that in the past? Surely, you know, surely players don't down tools just because they don't like a manager's methods. Um, back to Santo though, so should he feel that down? Well, yes, to a certain extent. But having said that, you know, he had the look of a guy who who, who actually knew that he was in the job by default anyway. You know, he didn't have, you know, his he followed on his worst season at Wolves by getting the Spurs job. You know, which just didn't really seem, you know, in any way logical. In, in, in any way, did he look a good fit? He's it smacked to me quite. I mean, that, that when Spurs got into a bit of difficulty appointing a successor. They got into a bit of difficulty, and it smacked to me as though basically he was an agent's choice. Basically, I do, I, I do think that that you know um, the sorts of workings of these the super agents probably got Santo the post, and he just had the look of a guy who 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 knew he probably wasn't going to be in there long term, and he certainly didn't make many attempts to you know to, to play any particularly sort of like you know outstanding football. But don't forget that let's not go back to the fact that they started off they beat Manchester City, you know, and we, we went. You know, we, we weren't sort of beating down Santos door saying, you know, oh, you've got the wrong man then. So, yeah. But but your original question, yes, if he sees a, a dramatic uplift in form from the likes of Kane and from the rest of the team, then, yeah, he has every entitled just to feel a bit let down. But he'll be OK. I mean, listen, I don't think I don't think this experience for for Santo will, you know, in, in any way sort of damage his credentials. I mean, basically... He'll he'll get a club at a level that that maybe a level of expectation that is more appropriate. Simon, let's move up to Newcastle. So obviously, Spurs have solved their <laughs> well, managerial. Was all <laughs> Spurs have had a good week. They've solved their managerial problems. Newcastle have had the opposite week. Um, what what where do we start with this? I mean, they've obviously offered Unai Emery the job this week. Um, it came out on the eve of um, his Villarreal side's Champions League game, and by the following morning, he made it clear that he wasn't interested. It, to me, it's it's getting a bit embarrassing now. I mean, they've got a caretaker manager in charge. They sacked Steve Bruce a couple of weeks ago. If you're a Newcastle fan, would you would you be concerned already by this apparent lack of? plan that these new Saudi owners seem to have. Do you know do you know what? And and I'm, 
Mike Ashley up, you know, look back to the Mike Ashley area era, and what we're seeing now with Newcastle is is years and years of underinvestment in in the team, um, and and the reason I say that when Newcastle the takeover took place at St James's Park. The Newcastle fans, rightly so, got very excited, you know, in terms of what it was going to mean to, to their football club. Um, and it was likened a little bit to what what had happened with, in Manchester, Manchester City in 2008 with the uh, with the Abu Dhabi takeover. The difference was that, that when that takeover happened, City had um, a, a man in charge, Gary Cook, who... Um, you know, who had the reins of the club. He, he was like the chief executive and he had a man alongside him in Brian Marwood who acted as a director of football, you know, as somebody who knew the game inside out, who knows the game inside out. Newcastle haven't got that. City had also finished ninth, I think it was, the previous season. Literally 24 hours uh, before the takeover happened, they'd signed Vincent Company and Pablo Zabaleta. So they were in a far better state of health than the squad that Newcastle are in. And the problem that Newcastle are finding at the moment is, of course, it's it's a very attractive proposition to go and manage under, under those owners. The problem is that any manager who goes up there is taking on instantly a relegation fight. Um, you know, and how much how much uh, of a repair can he do um in the January transfer window? You know, New, Newcastle could be could be cast adrift by the time that the, the transfer window opens. Um and I think that's that's what the problem is. We, we, we're once again seeing the, the the kind of consequences of the the lack of investment in it in, in the team under, you know, so many years. And and whoever takes over at Newcastle, it's starting literally from rock bottom in in Premier League terms. And and, and the gap between Newcastle and the rest is just it's absolutely huge. Um, so you know, mate, for for all the excitement that was generated on sign side by the by the takeover from Saudi Arabia, um, I think you know there there has been a a, a re- really big reality check not not just for the, for the fans but for the owners as well over the, the last week or so. Gids, Newcastle were basically expecting someone like Emery to give up Champions League football. To take on a, like Simon said, a relegation scrap, a desperate one at that. That's a big sort of um, that's a big ask to to expect a manager to to make that sacrifice, don't you think? Yeah, uh, it, it'd be nice to think that the search is there. They're sort of oh dear, we've lost Gideon. Andy. Yeah, I mean, well, listen. I mean, would, I mean, would fact... Emery, would, do you think Emery would have been a good fit? I mean. Well, listen, it, it would have been, I thought it would have been a slightly odd fit. You know, I think what Newcastle need is, you know, Emery, you know, for as well as he's done in his career, you know, it, it, he's been here before, you know, and he ended up being unfairly ridiculed, but but ridiculed all, all the same. You know, it didn't work out for him there. You know, he's not the best communicator. I don't particularly, you know, and, 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 and listen, you know, Villarreal, they're in the Champions League, they're doing okay. They're not doing great in La Liga. And when you say they give up a Champions League campaign, you know what you're asking them to do is is give up a job at Villarreal for Newcastle United. Now, 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 you know Villarreal aren't doing great in in the league. Newcastle United are doing poorly in the Premier League. But would you argue that they're a bigger club and a bigger long term project, a more you know with more money to spend? Yes, there's a lot of reasons why he might go to Newcastle. Um, I don't particularly think he would have been a great fit, but they set the stall out to get him in the end. 
and you know quite spectacularly failed. I mean, it, it was. I mean, literally amateur hour stuffed, you know, to let it all come out on the morning of a Villarreal Champions League game. And it's been amateur hour from the moment they took over, you know, quite. But what do you expect? You know, you've got three people in charge of a, of a football club, one of whom is a financier, one of whom um, hasn't got no history in football at all, you know, likes his golf, um, the Saudi Arabian representative, and then you've got the son of a developer, you know. So what gives them any any background at all to make any football appointments? None at all. Go back to what Simon's saying, you know, who are the people on the board? Who are there? I mean, Lee Charlie's still there, I guess, as far as I know. But really, there's no experience to get get someone. They had to have someone in place. Um, they they couldn't even get the Steve Bruce thing right, could they? They, they allowed him to limp on into that last game against Spurs, celebrate his thousandth game by getting getting pretty much hammered at home in the end, even though they made it close. You know, and it's just... And then have a caretaker manager. And then mess this up going into this weekend's game. It really is. I mean, it, it, it's... And one thing I would say about the whole thing and about Emery. Now, he gave his reasons why he was staying at Villarreal. And it'll be interesting. You know, and But a bit of it, you know, a bit of it, I think, let's not get away from the fact of, the, of, of what it's all about. If you become the manager of Newcastle United, you are one of the public faces, if not the public face, of the Saudi regime that owns Newcastle United. Let's not pretend, listen, there's not anyone who's awake who believes that, you know, who believes the line that the Saudi states have got no involvement in Newcastle. Quite clearly, they run the show, okay? There's there's no one. I mean, even behind the scenes, you know, the Premier League, when they're putting out that line, oh, we've had assurances Saudi states will have no involvement. I mean, even they couldn't keep a straight face. We, we know that. So basically, if you're the manager, you know, that isn't, go that isn't going to go away. You are still taking th that money that some people will, will some people will perceive as dirty money, as blood money. It might be loads of it. I mean, loads and loads of it. So you'll get your salary. But what happens when, I don't know, you know, Alan Shearer came on to match of the day and said, oh, well, the good thing is now we will keep asking questions about whatever. Now, I'm not sure. I'm not sure they, you know, I'm not sure certain people will, but there will be people out there. They will be quizzed all the time. You know, you are the face of the Saudi regime that runs Newcastle United. And that will always be there. And I think some managers, maybe someone of Emery's standing is thinking, maybe he's thought, you know what, do I really need that? Do I really need that for the, you know for an extra three four million quid? I know it's a lot of money, but then you know, so you've still got to attract those managers and those players there because in the end they are playing for a controversial regime, a controversial ownership group they're playing for uh, and managing for. And I just think that is where they will have an issue. You know, you just cannot go out and get you know the best player or the best manager in the world and say will come to us because they've got money. You know, they, they 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 don't particularly need the extra money. It's like trying to get, you know, in a way when the, when the, when the golf tournament was in Saudi Arabia originally, there were certain golfers, for example, who wouldn't go. You know, and they tended to be the best. You know, Rory McIlroy, for example, initially, sort of expressed, you know, his well, no, I'm not going to go because of this and because of that. And I just think you might find that now. Certainly, you know, managers may be lower down the. That you know, fit a few rungs down, would maybe have balanced that the reservations they have with the opportunity they need and the opportunity they take, and maybe Eddie Howe would fall into that category. You know, it would take a huge sort of like you know, I, I mean, for Eddie Howe, to, for example, to turn around and, and maybe think, well, I don't want to get involved with this, you know, because of of the background. 
um, would be, you know, would be a little bit unthinkable because he needs the opportunity. You know, he needs to get back onto that managerial ladder and to go to a club which has money to spend would be great. But I do think that's an issue they've got. I don't think that goes away. I do not think that that goes away. Kids, if if what Andy said is true, and I believe him, I think it is true, that, that a lot of managers think, well, you know, if I take that job, my reputation will have a permanent stain on it forever for obvious reasons. Where does that leave Newcastle? Because it's turning into a farce. And Eddie Howe reports this morning claim that Eddie Howe is, is now looking like the front runner to get the job till the end of the season at least. But one report says that, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll get the sack if, if, if they don't stay up. So, I mean, if you were Eddie Howe, would you be interested in getting the Newcastle job? What is it? We were, I mean, we were discussing it last night, weren't we, at City, that Eddie Howe might be the strategic choice because they think there might be in a relegation battle next season and in the Championship. And that's yeah. where his experience lies. He's getting up and keeping the side. So he may be a... He may be a stopgap solution, but I, I would go back to the, some of the problems that, that Newcastle have. I mean, since Ashley took over, they've had, I think this will be the 11th manager they've had. And I think that this, there's been such a churn and such turmoil behind the scenes. I would go, go to the point that Si made about, about Man City. And, and whereas at City, they had the building blocks in place, the foundation stones, which they built. It was a... a Gideon's clearly not paid his internet bill this month. So, <laughs> we'll have to come back. Oh, he's back. He's back. Gideon, put 10p in the meter. Oh, he's back, but he's stationary. But listen, I think we all agree. The thing, the difference is with City, I, I guess, you know, is that no one's under any illusions what the new manager has got to do. And that's, you know, saving from relegation. They haven't been threatening to contend in the top half of the table. They finished, what, 12th and 13th, was it, the last two seasons? But they were never really threatening to finish top half. So yeah, that 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 that's the, the irony is they need someone to come in, save them from relegation, and then they want someone who's going to spend all this money. You know, they're going to spend next summer and and all of a sudden make them into top five, top six contenders. But but you know what? I mean, I, mean, I just I cannot see. Because maybe it'll happen, but the, any idea that they are, you know, I can see them saving themselves from relegation this season because I think there's some pretty average teams down there. And, you know, Newcastle, same squad they've had, have finished above that. So I think a manager should be able to save them from relegation. But this idea that they're going to be, you know, amongst this, amongst the, you know, the big six, amongst the superpowers next year or a year after, a year after that, I just think is absolutely fanciful. I just can't see it. I cannot see it because as, despite all the money, this idea that they're just going to wave huge amounts of money around and get great players there, a great manager in there, I just think no. I just think I just think I just think there are too many other options for players and managers. Um, the the sheer fact of an extra few million is just not going to persuade them otherwise. Gideon, have you put the ten p in the lucky meter for your, for your internet? <laughs> it's been. In, uh, um, I, I don't know how much you. I was just talking about. Uh, you know, they've got mm. to they've got to get a st structure in place, and whether that's sort of importing a complete backroom ethos and, and director of football and everything from another club or copying an example from another European club. That's going to take, that's going to take, like Andy says, it's going to take two or three seasons to do that. The City had it in place and it still took them two and a half seasons to land the league, uh, a season and a half to land the cup, and then maybe three and a half years maybe to to establish themselves as a, as a real force, a, a, a lasting force in Europe. So, 
I think I agree with Andy. I think any any suggestion that that Newcastle are just going to romp on the back of these oil billions to the to the top of the table is 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 outlandish and fanciful. Before we move on to the Champions League, can I just ask all three of you if you were a Newcastle fan come the start of next season, who who would you think would be a realistic manager to have in place for the start of next season? I honestly, listen, I'm Eddie. Don't get me wrong. I'm an Eddie Howe fan, and 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 I certainly would be. I think that's a realistic choice. I remember I, I actually said that at the time I advocated Eddie Howe um, at Everton rather than Rafa Benitez, and I was pretty much well widely laughed um, laughed out of town by by some fellow scousers, by most fellow scousers. But I do like what Eddie Howe did at Bournemouth. I do like him as a, as what you might call a project manager. I do think he would buy into this idea of it being a long-term project, and I do think he would get that. So I think that's realistic. I, 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 if I was a Newcastle fan, it might not be the stellar name that you maybe expected when it was announced. You know, you had about ten trillion pounds to spend, but I think Eddie Howe would be a realistic option. Sorry, it's a difficult one to answer that. Apart from following up with Andy, that you know, Eddie, Eddie Howe is probably. I would imagine they've they've already sounded out Eddie Howe in terms of whether he's interested in the job or not um, mm. you know which is why he's probably heading you know he's, he's kind of heading towards Tyneside as, as we talk uh, not in a literal sense um, but yeah I, I think Andy's right Eddie Howe you know a, man, mm. a manager who's um, who well first and foremost needs a job um, but secondly yeah. you know as, as we kept Bournemouth in, in the Premier League did a great job down there um, got them in Premier League to, to kick off with. And, and let's be honest, this time next year, that might be his brief to get Newcastle back in the Premier League. Yeah. yeah. Gids, who do you think would be a realistic um, choice? Uh, I, I, I think um, I think Newcastle fans might be slightly underwhelmed with Eddie Howe, um, yeah. as good a manager as he is. I think that maybe they will associate... Uh, their elevation in sort of financial status with a with a, a sexier name, maybe even even if they're not as good. Um, I'm thinking sort of Favre or maybe Marsh or someone somebody from Europe um, might more realistically maybe Benitez back there if things don't go well at Everton. But I think they, I think Newcastle fans might take that. He might be a perfect sort of stopgap, but that's 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 going two steps ahead. To be fair, Rafa is doing his best to get himself the sack. Exactly, mate, yeah. <laughs> Guys, Champions League this week, some some great week for English clubs. All four of our, our teams won. Um, sorry, I tell a lie. United drew, but it felt like a win given the um, given the impact of that late goal from Ronaldo. Um Huge goal from Ronaldo in terms of the um, impact it has on the group. They're in, they're still top somehow. But, um, Sai, it's amazing how Ronaldo keeps keeps scoring his goals. Not just the fact he's scoring goals, but the, the goals, that what they mean, the importance of these goals in terms of the context of them. Um, the guy's 36 and he scored twice again in the week. And when, you know, United were pretty much outplayed for a lot of that game. Um, it's astonishing how he keeps doing it, isn't it? You know, listen. I'll be honest. I, I was one of those that thought that that you know um, he was he was well past his best. Not just past his best, but well past his best. I, you know, how wrong was I? I mean, the guy is absolutely lethal. 
Um, you know, he doesn't need even need a half chance. You know, that that winner um at Atalanta, it wasn't even a half chance, but what a finish right into the corner, technique, absolutely brilliant. Uh similar to you know, similar in a way to the volley at, at Tottenham last week. Again, just you know, if if I actually said last week that um it, it was run. That was a. It was a. It was a routine finish at Tottenham last week for Ronaldo. But for yeah. anyone else, it, it, it was world class. And he just keeps on making the the, the impossible look ridiculously easy. Um, yeah, you know, he's been the one saving grace for United this season, despite the difficulties that that Solskjaer has had in terms of getting a plan to to get the best out of the rest of his team. And l- listen. Despite the goals, Solskjaer still has got that task. He's got to find a way to get the best out of his team and not just Cristiano Ronaldo. And we, we you know, we saw it work last week with, with, with Tottenham at Tottenham. He played with really seven defensively minded players. Uh and then, you know, Bruno Fernandez just behind uh Ronaldo and uh, and Cavani. And I'm not sure long term that's the way that a club like Manchester United should be developing, that you play with seven defensive-minded mm-hmm. players and then just let three, you know, great attackers get on with doing what they do best. Because, um, you know, I, I'm not sure that is the, the, the kind of plan and the kind of structure that, that a top team that's got designs on winning Premier Leagues and Champions League um, can can set up. Mm. Gids, do you think... Um... I can't believe I'm asking this question, given the the array of talent United have in their ranks. But they look like a one man team at the minute. Um, yeah, well, I think in, in two ways they look like a one man team, if you like, both in in attack and in defence. And I think, um, I sort of concur with everything that Sai said about Ronaldo, including sort of swallowing humble pie from last week. Um, I think at the other end of the pitch, I think of of of, as, of much concern for Solskjaer is the fact that they're looking uh, a little bit leaky without Varane in the side, um, and he's going to be out now for a month. I think that's a real worry. I mean, it, with Varane in the side, they, they're conceding only, only just well, just under one goal a game when he's on the pitch. Without him, they're well over two goals a game, um, and and I think that's a real worry for him, with, with especially with with you know Maguire and Shaw and Wan Bissaka looking a little bit uncertain, um, so that's yeah. I, th- I think they're kind of a they're a, they're a two man one man team if you like. For me, yeah. Andy, do you think? I mean, I was looking checking last night that the, the goals Ronaldo scored in the Champions League group games so far have earned United five of their seven points. Mm. Without those goals, they would be bottom of the table. They wouldn't. They'd be struggling to even get in the Europa League. Do you think? Do you think Ronaldo is keeping Solskjaer in a job? Um. Yeah. Well, no, not really. I mean, I mean, you know, I, this. I think I, I was. I was at a couple of those games, and certainly the Atalanta one at home. It was dramatic that Ronaldo scored the winner. But you know, I suspect that United would have won anyway. You know, they were better than Atalanta in that second half. But listen, his goals are are helping him stay in the job for sure. Um, but on the other hand, you know. We, we keep flip-flopping with Ronaldo to a certain extent. Where, Well, I do anyway, because as everything about Simon, Simon just said about Ronaldo, you know, is correct. Yeah, I've, I've been at games. Now, I was at Leicester City away, and he was dreadful. I mean, utterly dreadful. He set the standard for United's awfulness on that day. Yeah. His work rate was, was shocking. And I think, you know, like Mason Greenwood, 
um, Jaden Sancho that day looked at him and thought, well, if, well, if he's not pressing or tracking back, neither am I. That malaise spread throughout the whole team. And he was certainly part of the problem. So the irony is, is, it, is he keeping Solskjaer on the job? Well, yes, he's helping do so. Is he part of the problem that causes this inconsistency? This, and that's what they are, Manchester United. They are inconsistent. You know, it wouldn't surprise anyone if they went out on Saturday against City and put in a, 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 a vibrant performance, maybe, maybe got the win. And then, of course, it, it didn't really surprise anybody that they stunk the place out and were absolutely thumped by Liverpool. Now that it, it, and and that could have flipped. They could have they could have been great against Liverpool and rubbish against City. That's the problem, the inconsistency. So Ronaldo is both the solution to the problem and part of the problem, and that's it. And I think Simon also makes a, a great point about if they do go um, in the Premier League the same way they went at Spurs with 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 those you know defensively minded players leaving Fernandez, um, Rashford, Ederson, Fernandez, Cavani, and Ronaldo up front. Now, listen, I think Cavani should start. But then you are asking Manchester United for all the stuff that Solskjaer has spoken about over the last three years, all about, you know, developing these young players. You, you know, what you do, what are you doing with Greenwood, Sancho and Rashford? You know, you, you can't, you know, it, that's a, a short-term 12-month fix where you've got two strikers who are, you know, will be a combined age early next year of 72. So it, that's not, that would be going against everything that, you know, Solskjaer has been going on about for for three years, but he will have to do that. Needs must, you know, if, if he's if he's in that situation. But that's the that's the problem, the consistency. You just don't know. I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you now how United are going to play. I, I know they might set up, but how they're going to perform on 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 um, on Saturday against City. The other thing is, is there's no alarm for the fact that. While they were better against Spurs, you know, I mean, some of the individual players' form has just literally fallen off a cliff. You know, Harry Maguire, you know, you can't... It, okay, he's been injured, but, you know, to see him in this sort of trough of form it, it, it is quite startling. And if you're a manager, you can't really sort of allow for that, for players to suddenly... Um, Jaden Sancho, you know, you're looking at him and you think, well, you would have expected him to make a bit of an impact, but none at all. So I just think it's the inconsistency that he needs to sort out. but And that's easier said than done, of course. So, Andy touched on Maguire. His form has been shocking um, of late. He's even admitted that he, he's, his form's not been nowhere near good enough. <clears throat> Southgate picks his England squad uh, in a few yeah. hours' time. Is he, is he, I mean, is he justified, Southgate, in saying Maguire's not worth, worth a place in the squad right now because his form's not good enough? He is justified, yeah, but he won't. I mean, Maguire will, will, you know, just as Harry Kane will be in uh, the England squad. Uh, you know, Gareth, Gareth has got players that uh, he trusts, um, you know, and and you have, you know, served him well over the years. So, um, but, you know, Kane and Maguire are, are having the struggles. Luke Shaw's having a bit of a struggle at the moment. Um, you know, Gideon touched on it earlier. It's not just English players. You know, I look at Kevin De Bruyne at Man City. He's a shadow of, of the player he was last season. Came, you know, came back from the Euros injured, and quite clearly you can tell that. And yeah. you know, uh, you know, going back to to players that that um, Southgate trusts, you know, Raheem Sterling's another one. He's hardly getting a game at City, but he'll be in in the England squad because he's never let Gareth Southgate down. Uh, but yeah, we, you know, we're right to ask the question on you know whether whether players should purely be picked on 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 current form or or past form. And uh, you know, Gareth is a, is a manager. Who um, has generated a lot of trust from his his his, uh, his squad, 
because uh, because he trusts them. You know, even when it's uh, you know, even when it's it's through difficult times. Yeah, I think, I think quickly, quickly, Jez, what what be interesting in, in squad <laughs> selection is does he pick Sancho? Yeah. I mean, he said, does he pick Sancho? He said before the last squad, which was quite unusual for Gareth from a man management point of view. Well, I picked Sancho, but he didn't really deserve to be in the squad. Well, he's done mm. nothing since then to suggest he deserves it anymore. Does he pick it this afternoon? And if you, if you remember as well, by the way, he 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 annoyed uh, Jurgen Klopp by by not picking Trent Alexander Arnold. Yes. Because he hadn't yeah. been playing for Liverpool, and, and Jurgen yeah. Klopp was very unhappy. No, it was sorry, it wasn't Trent Joe Gomez. Joe Gomez. Um, he was he was uh, he was angry that Joe Gomez had not been called up, and and the reasoning was that he'd not played enough for Liverpool. Well, yeah. at the same time, John Stones was was playing despite not playing uh, many games for City. Yeah, yeah, but John Stones. To, to be fair, I mean, I mean, that was for all we love Klopp. That was such a spurious <laughs> argument, untrue. You know, John Stones. John Stones may not have played much for City. But John Stones have been a, a, an absolute cornerstone of of Gareth Southgate's defence at two major tournaments. Two major tournaments where they got to the semi-finals of a World Cup and the final of the Euro thing. So suggest to put Stones and Gomez somehow side by side was absolutely ludicrous. I mean, of course, of course he's going to select Stones because he's fit. He just might not not be getting in that city side. So, so I think I think all that was a, a bit of a. But you're right. He does have players who who, who he relies on, the likes of Stones, for example. Although he did drop stones, of course, for a spell after you know around about 2019, so it's not like he's just got blind loyalty. Sancho will be interesting. Does he call Mason Greenwood back in? I mean, he's been saying that you know they need to somehow manage Mason Greenwood. You know, he's 20 years 20 years of age. He played about 120 games for United. That, you know, I'm, I'm Bellingham. I assume will be recalled. Yeah. I also, yeah, also think, Crossy, I, think, I also think that, that World Cup qualifying and friendlies offers a significantly easier task for some of these players than, than the, the day in, day out of the Premier League. So maybe this is why you're getting a bit of um, sort of black and white in the, in the performances. Yeah. Um, because I fancy Maguire against San Marino. Is that what you're saying, Gibbs? Yeah. yeah, a little bit. Because <laughs> we were both sat, sat together at City last night, who um, in the end it was a comfortable 4 1 win. But by half time, it didn't feel that way, did it? And Foden revealed afterwards that um, Pep had laid into his players at half time, given them a bit of a bollocking. Um, it certainly works. They scored three times after the break to, to win 4 1. But do you think that scoreline flattered the City a little bit? Cause to me, they don't seem to be hitting the straps at the minute, they're not quite in the rhythm that we know. They're capable of. It's a bit of a curate's egg of a season, isn't it, for City? They're scoring lots of goals, but in 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 clumps, um, and they're actually not scoring in in some of the. We keep, we keep it's feast or famine, and we keep going back to this this argument about the striker, don't we? Um, and whether they, whether they'd be better with one. I mean, I I personally think they would be, but um, Pep seems determined to prove that he can he can repeat a Premier League win. From last season without one, or and, and better them, you know, better the performance in the Champions League. I think actually last season the Premier it, they they won in spite of it, and I think it's a lot stronger competition this year with Liverpool back. So let's see how that goes. But I still think they'll be better with a, with a striker and more consistent. Andy, you were at uh, Anfield last night, where you know, in contrast to the sort of last ditch heroics of United, Liverpool just cruised through that group, so-called group of death, with two games to spare. They've already won it. They've qualified for the last 16. Um, still unbeaten this season. Not lost a game since April. Um, 
which is astonishing, really. Um, do you think they're they are the major force in English football at the minute? I do, I do. You know, the group group of death, it, 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 as they say, Liverpool became the group of defo, didn't it? You know, they just w- win every game, four games on the spin. Bear in mind, this is a group of Porto, AC Milan, and Atletico Madrid, the champions of Spain, the runners up in Italy, the runners up in Portugal. You know, it was supposed to be a formidable, formidable um, challenge for all concerned. And Liverpool have just breezed it. And, you know, 25 games that is unbeaten, that's their best um, ever run equals. I think they did it in the 1980s and they did it just before the turn of the century, actually, I think. So, so 25 games are unbeaten. And they look, of all the teams I've seen this season, I know they're not top of the Premier League, but they're the best team I've seen this season by, by some distance. I've seen a lot of them live. And on European nights, listen, there's this romance about Liverpool. Well, Liverpool fans have this romance about themselves, really, you know, that this 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 means more slogan, which, of course, is nonsense. It doesn't mean any more than anything else. However, however, on European nights, there is no other club that I've been to that creates that sort of atmosphere. Any club that comes to Anfield, no matter how good, whether it be Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, whoever, AC Milan, they can be blown away inside 25 minutes. And Atletico Madrid were blown away inside 25 minutes, even before the, quite frankly, quite ludicrous sending off Felipe. It, it was, they, they were blown away. You know, and, 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 and you can't tell me, I keep thinking, it can't be anything to do with the, the atmosphere generated by the crowd. But I think that's part of it. I genuinely do. You know, we saw that, that comeback against Barcelona. You know, you're seeing experienced season, Champions League players looking around and you can see... Well, you can, maybe not fear, but you can see trepidation in them. And then Liverpool start, it seems to get to the players, and they just looked half a yard quicker than Atletico. As I say, who were the Spanish champions? Arguably the best team in Spain. They certainly were last season, and they might begin this season. And they were half a yard sharper. They were, they were, they were just a little bit stronger. They were sharper. You know, and they rattled Atletico Madrid, and, and, and Atletico Madrid lost the plot. You know, how quick, how sharp was Sadio Mane to get onto that Alexander Arnold, well, I mean, they call it an assist, but it was a cross shot that turned into an assist. And how quick was Alexander Arnold going forward? Jordan Henderson snapped into every tackle in midfield and, and ran the show. The crowd, it just takes a couple of tackles from Liverpool players, and the crowd are up, and Klopp's got them going. And that's why, you know, in terms of the Champions League, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're not favourites, but I think they should be favourites. You know, I, I really do. I, I just think that Klopp has got, you know, that mojo back. You know, that and, and okay, question. they had a blip against Brighton at the weekend. You know, but they could have had that game out of sight against a, a very decent Brighton side. And it's just hard to see. You know, the caveat would be again, I don't think their squad maybe is as deep as Chelsea's or the City's. But in terms of goal scoring, we talk about there about City's goal scoring options. You know, Liverpool. I mean, and Salah is is the best player in the Premier League. By some distance now, by by some distance. So yeah, I was I was mightily impressed with them, and I, and I don't think you can look at that group and see the way they have you know dismissed Atletico Madrid, home and away. I mean, home and away it, it is just it's impressive. It's mightily mightily impressive. You you mentioned they they might just be the favourites for the Champions League. When you look around at the teams in the Champions League and how they've performed so far. There's not an out-and-out favourite, really, is there? There's normally one team where you think, crikey, they're going to take some stopping. But if you had a tenner, I know you're not a gambling man, Andy, but if you had a tenner to spare, would you stick it on Liverpool? Yes, I would. 
I would. Yeah. I, I, I would. I would have no hesitation in, in sticking with him. I do. I just. I just. Yeah. I, I've got no. I don't see. You know. I just think that 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 front. What is now, by the way, not a front three, but it's it's a pair of three from four. When you think that Jota, who should have scored, probably probably three last night. You know. I, I do think. Um, I do think that, and I think Henderson has matured into just a superb captain. We know all about Van Dijk. We know all about Alexander Arnold. The goalkeeper is just, you know, pretty sound. Um, I don't see, as I say, my only reservation would be maybe they haven't got as much strength in depth. But I, I would stick my hard antenna on them. And and if they can get that referee, by the way, again, I mean, because that was, I mean, all emotion aside, we all think, oh, great, then I'd let to go get what was coming to them for all their play acting and their cynicism. But really, I'm not quite sure how he said. Yeah, Simon. Um, there's some big, big games this weekend in the Premier League, but none, none, none come close to touching the Manchester derby. Um, how do you see that panning out? Normally, you know, in any other circumstances, you'd, you'd say, given the the way the two teams are playing, and City, City have been sloppy. City aren't at, at the best by any stretch of the imagination. You would expect City to win because they've got they, they've got what I think is is the better team. Um, but if you look at the head to head between Guardiola and and Solskjaer, Solskjaer has actually beaten Guardiola four times out of eight and and drawn one. So he's 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 one of the few managers that's got a winning record against Guardiola. And and City have struggled um, against United over the over the last few years. Um, and United have raised the game, and like Andy says, you don't, you know, if, if we knew which Manchester United team was going to turn up, we'd have a better idea of how the game is, was going to pan out. But you, you just don't know because of that inconsistency that they've got at the moment. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's one of those games. It's like any derby; it's it's very difficult to call. But when you've got one team sort of, you know, being outplayed for for long spells of a game, but then getting Cristiano Ronaldo to to you know, turn on the magic in the last five ten minutes, then you, you, it's just very very difficult to predict. And I think City, you know, going back to Andy saying um, he thinks that Liverpool are the best team in the Premier League. I think they're the, certainly the most exciting team in the Premier League. I think at the moment for me, Chelsea just look like they are um, that little touch more ruthless. Um, and you know, and yet City have been to both. Uh, Stamford Bridge this year and Anfield and basically played both Chelsea and Liverpool off, off the park and mm. should really have come away with six points rather than four. But uh, I think City are paying, really are paying the price this season for not having that man in the middle who finishes off chances. And there's, there's, a, there's just a sloppiness about them at the moment that I think United can maybe think they can they can take advantage of. So, uh, listen, I, I don't think it's it's one of those games that, that you can really call this Saturday. Does it feel like De Bruyne owes City a big game? Because his form's been quite worrying, hasn't it, this season? He's just not just doesn't look like the player we know who has been down the years, last few years, probably the best midfielder in the world at times. Well, listen, I, I think Roberto Martinez... You know, as an international manager, I, I know his his first his first um, responsibility has to be to the people who employ him. But the handling of Kevin De Bruyne at the Euros, I thought, was was outrageous. He shouldn't. You know, De Bruyne has admitted now that he should not have played in that in that game against Italy. Uh, he played with pain killing injections, and he, he's he's gone back to the Etihad, and he, he 
you know, if he's not nursed through, then he's going to require an operation, and that would, you know, that would put him out for months. He's had he's had, he's had ankle problems before. Um, City are not happy about the way he, he's been handled on international duty because it's not the first time he's come back from playing for Belgium injured. And Vincent Company was the same as well. He he went to, away to Belgium a couple of times and came back injured when he really shouldn't have played. Um, and De Bruyne, you can tell De Bruyne just he, there's just no explosiveness to him, and um, you know, you know, he's he's passing, you know, he's, he, I'd love to see what his passing stats are because they, they'll be way below what they were last season, and and you know, he's the man that makes that really does make City sick. Yeah, Gids, um Solskjaer's got this uncanny um, knack of pulling rabbits out of the hat when he needs one. He's obviously had a decent week. The beat Spurs last week, and they got a good point um, in Atalanta. So you feel like the pressure's just eased on him a little bit. But you wouldn't be that. We were we were talking about this last night. When you wouldn't be that shocked if United actually won on Saturday. But where? Let's just say that they got United got a tonking like they did against Liverpool. Where would that leave Solskjaer? And where would that leave the board in terms of thinking about making a change? I, I kind of get the feeling that that. The derby won't have a material impact on that. I feel like he's weathered the storm with Liverpool. Once he got through that game and didn't get sacked, I, feel, I think that he's kind of safe for a few more months now. Um, unless he racked up a, 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 an astonishing, you know, 7-0 in the derby and then a, and four losses on the trot. But I think that's unlikely with the inconsistency that they're showing. They, they, they seem to waver between decent performances and, and terrible performances. But I think he's kind of weathered that storm. But looking at the, the derby this weekend, you, you sort of form book, you can throw out the window on a Saturday lunchtime derby at Old Trafford, however City are playing and however United are playing. But I, I've just got a feeling that that a United team without Varane, who, who leak over two goals, who leak goals to young boys, Atalanta, Leicester and Liverpool, have all put more than, more than one past them. I think City can do that. Um, can can United score three or four? Uh, probably not, I don't think. Right, guys, predictions, scores, please. Andy? I think City will sneak it. I think it'll be, but I don't think it'll be as emphatic as Liverpool's win. I, I'm going for United 1, City 2. Sorry? Uh, I'm going for City 2 as well. I'm going for 2-0. Uh, Kids? 1-3 uh, for me. Two. Who two? One three. Uh, okay. yeah, at home. Andy, just before we move on to the last what's session. Your, what's uh, your prediction, Jess? I think no, you're United, putting us on you're putting us on the on the spot. What's I your got prediction? a sneaky feeling United are gonna win. Two one. I think it'd be quite close, closer than a lot of people think. Two one United, sorry, mate. Okay. Don't worry, I'll probably be wrong as usual. <laughs> Andy, there's another big yeah. game on uh, on Sunday. Dare I ask you, Everton Spurs, dare I ask you about Rafa? One win well, in seven. Three defeats yeah. on the spin. Is, is, is it safe to say the honeymoon's definitely finished there at Goodison? <clears throat> oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely it is. It's a huge game on, on, on Sunday, you know. But, I mean, all, all parts of the broader picture is, is that I, I've been away for a little while and they've come back and there's been a couple of managers gone. And it's almost like we're back to their... The time when, you know, maybe people were a bit more patient through the pandemic, and now we, we, we're eager to get back to the idea that if a manager loses, you know, three or four in the spin, 
he's he's under massive pressure. I mean, it's not just Rafa. You know, I mean, if Dean Smith um, um, loses, I think they're, are they away at Southampton tomorrow evening? You know, all of a sudden we're hearing he's under pressure, and Fonseca's being lined up. And you know, in theory, you look at. I mean, we are you know, again. I go back to it. We are ten games into a season. You know, and 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 Rafa had a decent start, and um, and now and now they're they're struggling, but they're struggling. They've got you know there are mitigating circumstances. You know, Decore injured. You know, Yeri Mina out injured. You know, Richardson's missed missed a couple. Um, you know, key players out. So, so. so on that side, you know, you you, you would you you would you would give him that, that that mitigation. However, I mean, two things: you're always going to come back to the fact that when it does go wrong for Rafa, then you know his his background, his his past allegiance, you know, and it was a very strong allegiance. Let's not let's not get that you know let's mix words with that. That will come back and, and be used against him. The very nature of the performances at home against Watford and that first half in particular against Wolves, you know, was terrible. Now. You know, in a way, you've had two players who've been outstanding early on the season, in Demary Gray and Andros Townsend. You know, and they, you know, they were very quickly hailed as oh, weren't these inspirational signings? Well, there's a reason why one was one and a half million and why one was free. You know, and that will eventually tell. You know, people don't make you. You don't pick up stuff. There is a reason why they were available, and there is a reason why probably only Everton wanted them. And that and that and that will begin to show. So the squad isn't deep enough. You, you know, up front they have incredibly limited options. I mean, why on earth, you know, Salomon Rondon was brought um, with Rafa? Well, Rafa brought him. I just do not know. So yeah, they've got issues in the squad. You know, it's a mid-table squad. I mean, there was there was never any chance that you know that, that Benitez was going to make them into a top four squad. My overriding picture has always been the same: is is that yes, I do think past allegiances should count for something. You know, I, I do think that, that tribalism has a big part in football. I do think that if you're an Everton fan and you think, you know what, you know, he's, you know, his club, the club that's really in his heart on Merseyside is Liverpool. There's nothing wrong with that. I do think that's an issue. But what I always said from day one, I think that that he had run, run his course to a certain extent as a manager. You know, he, 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 he did okay at Newcastle. He took the money and went to China. Where he just did okay again in China, you know, and I just think for what Everton was supposed to be doing, which is building a long-term project with the investment from Mashiri, the new stadium, I, I think they needed a manager who you were thinking, right, a young, dynamic manager okay. who's going to buy into his project, and Rafa's just getting through game to game as he will. And listen, a really, really decent guy, you know, a really decent guy. This week, he, I think, he, he bought a holiday home in Wales and gave it to a, a charity for people to use. He's great in the community, a nice guy to deal with, but I just think that he's not the right fit for Everton on on both of those levels, on what he's where he's been in the past and what he's done as a manager in recent years. I don't think he was the right fit. And as I say, I think you know the way football grounds can get now. Goodison Park is no different. If they don't perform well against Spurs on Sunday and they are beaten, then it will it is likely to turn a little bit toxic. Yeah, it's certainly a massive game at Goodison Park mm. uh, for for a number of reasons, especially with Conte uh, taking. Oh, it's charge. great, isn't it? Yeah. Guys, before we finish, um, courtesy of Andy Dunn, this final section is called Reverse Ferret. Um, we all felt for the lads who were out there covering the Man United exactly. game in Atalanta on uh, on Tuesday when Ronaldo's late goal obviously absolutely ruined everyone's match report and. 
basically it was back to square one for the boys over there. We've all been there. Um, let me ask you, let me ask each each one of you, um, what's the worst nightmare you've had in terms of covering a game and having to basically rip it up and start again with minutes, minutes to spare? Si? Um The one I, I can think of, which I, I still smile about, was it would have been in 2014. Um, Everton were playing Arsenal quite early on in the season. Well, it's probably late August. And um, Everton were 2-0 up and cruising. And I'd been getting calls during the game that United were just about to complete a deal for Angel <laughs> Maria. Um, so I rang the desk, uh, cut a long story short. The story on Di Maria changed a couple of times. So I'd rewritten, just... I'd, I'd rewritten the piece. Um, and um, I, I get I, I, Arsenal then scored twice in the last five yeah. minutes. So not only am I rewriting my angle Di Maria piece, but I'm now rewriting my Arsenal Everton Everton Arsenal match report because Arsenal scored two late goals. You were multitasking. To get a, so I was multitasking. I could yeah. I needed two laptops. I would have been like a, a, a key, you know, a keyboard uh, wizard. Um, anyway, it, it ended up that um, I was so far behind that I ended up being kicked out of Goodison Park because they wanted to close the press room. And uh, when I got into my car and continued uh, to write on my laptop, my battery packed in. So I ended up in the Arkles pub next to Stanley Park. Imagine that, you ended up in a pub. The landlord... In the Arkles pub. In the Arkles. The landlord <laughs> kindly um, unplugged the jukebox so that I could plug my laptop in. Um so I'm tapping away with a pint of Guinness and, and about 15 scousers looking over my shoulder to read about Angel de Maria um signing for Manchester United. So that was that was one that still brings a smile to my face. That's a great Brilliant. story. Gids, you must have had a few nightmares down here. <laughs> <laughs> a bit harsh. Nothing, nothing personal, Paul. Just um, yeah, it's 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 often the way that you you know what is brilliant sport for other people is an absolute nightmare for us, isn't it? But that yeah. um, you're almost wishing for for bland uh, non-events. But the you two want three, been... if, if you've got a late game, you want three nil at half time to any team, yeah. So you can yeah, get the yeah. match yeah. report sorted out nice and early. The two the, the two that spring to mind for me were from cricket, were, which was the first one was the World Cup final at Lords in oh. 2019, where I was going to mention that where not only was everything that you wrote prior to them going into a super over and Ben Stokes's, you know, the ball rebounding off Ben Stokes's bat yeah. from, you know, from the field and whether the fielder, fielders had crossed before the fielder. I mean, yeah, right. it, was a, it was a blizzard of rules, which I didn't understand. I mean, I hold my hands on. Yeah. Super over. And, then, and it was a super over, which, which necessitated, which completely superseded everything that had gone before it. That was on, on deadline. And the other one was the... Um, 2016 T20 World Cup final where Ben Stokes got smacked for four sixes in the yeah, final yeah. over, which necessitated a complete rewrite. Yeah, yeah, great sport, but it's not what you want, yeah. is it? When you, yeah. when you rank. Well, exactly. And 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 for enough kids, that, that 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 World Cup final as well. I mean, I, I, I think I've probably sat a couple of seats away from you, and not only then to go to Super Over, we and then when it became clear that the Super Over might finish level. We thought, what happens then? And no one knew, yeah. did they? I mean, I mean, no one literally. Hang on, well, what happens if that finishes? No, it can't finish them. Well, yes, it can. What happens then? And then, of course, there's that rule that about more boundaries. I know, incredible. 
But obviously the famous ones, Jeremy. I mean, I, I wasn't there, but obviously, you know, the Champions League final, the United's yeah. treble winning season would be the ultimate, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, but we've all been there, it, it, those those last minute ones, and, and you literally can't type quick enough. But I was going to do one that, and I, I, by the way, I was, I used it because I think one of the guys, was it Mark Critchie from The Independent, wrote a, a report, didn't he, say about, basically, which was about how United always mess you up and Ronaldo with his last minute goals always makes you have to rewrite, you know, very, very quickly. But I, I was going to do a, a, an actual column, a, an actual column piece. I was working for Sunday newspaper back in 2007. And one of our reporters had a, uh, I got a call from the, from the boss on, on Friday night, uh, maybe Saturday morning, I'm not sure. But anyway, he, he basically said to me, listen, we've got an unbelievable scoop this weekend. He says, he says, he says, um, he says, Jose Marino, Jose Marino is going to be manager of England. He's accepted the England job. He says, unbelievable, we've got a scoop. It's back five pages. He said, I want you to do your column on it. I said, brilliant. No problem at all. So I wrote I wrote this column saying, like, you know, how great Jose was going to be. If, if you remember, McLaren had just been sacked after the, you know, the Wally with the Broly episode. And Jose had been out of work, I think, because he, he'd left Chelsea at that point. He was free. So I read this column about, you know, a massive thing about how great this is going to be. I was going to shake up the England team, you know, after McLaren, you know, fancy getting an inspirational guy like this. And then all brilliant, all great. And then I drive off to um, an even game, 5.30 game. Um, it was Reading. It might have been Reading against Man United. I can't remember. Any. I drive to the game. It was definitely Reading. I know that. I'm driving back from the game. And we're literally about know, an hour from deadline, if that. Bit less, and I get the phone call. Comes up, Jose's changed his mind, right? So now, so so we, we can't fill a page. That, so so my boss wants me to say, right, Jose's mind. It's a U-turn. He's changed his mind. Quick, pull over into the services and write the column. You know, rewrite the column. So I'm thinking, wow. So I get into the services and and you can imagine I'm trying to find a place to park and it's like hammering down. There's football fans everywhere. So I do this column about. Uh, so I've done the column, which is ready to go about. He's gonna. And then the comm starts off with it, but now England have dodged the bullet. And like, you know, thank goodness he hasn't taken it. And the office have got the two pages up on the wall <laughs> saying, always a man of your convictions, Donny. I was but I was so I was so annoyed and so whatever. I just thought, what am I gonna do? Like you know, I literally I keep the office keep saying we need it, we need it now, we need it now. And I had to write that, and it's just you know, that's how things can change that quickly. But I mean, live games, you know, we've all been there. I mean. Um, you know, late games and, and when you when you have to when that arrives. But the thing with Ronaldo is you could almost write the script now, couldn't you? Yeah, you could have you could have it written and just just drop it in. Yeah, set and hold they used to call it. Yeah, yeah. I well, mean, well, somebody, like almost, I think we all said at half time in that Atalanta game that the home game. You know, it, it's written that they'll come back win three two and it'll be the Ronaldo winner. Well, I made a prediction on Twitter last night with the Man United fan. We're having a bit of a laugh and a joke about it, and and he said and I said uh, Man United won. Brackets Ronaldo ninety plus six Manchester City nil. <laughs> um, I mean, at least it's a twelve thirty kickoff, so it won't be. Uh, it won't be. Uh, yeah, we've got plenty of time. We've got no need to panic on Saturday. Brilliant <laughs> stuff, boys. Yeah, we love the job, but it can be an absolute nightmare at times. Anyway, that's it for this week. So, um, thanks everyone for watching and listening, and thanks to Simon, Andy, and Gideon for a great show. Uh, thanks again. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>